Welcome to the 616 Recap. It's your home for West Michigan Whitecaps coverage. I'm your host, Keenan Carter, joined again by my co-host, Jay Markle. What's happening, Jay? Howdy. Happy to be here. Hey, so the Midwest League All-Star break just wrapped up. Um, the good news there is that the Whitecaps now have a 0-0 zero and zero record heading into the second half of the season. Um, they finished up the first half, Jay, with a 21-48 and 48 record, good for 23 games out of first place. Um, lost 11 of their last 12 games. Really, all-star break couldn't come soon enough. For, for you folks, guys like you, Jay, who live out there in the, in the Grand Rapids area, and it's, it's been a, it's been a difficult first half, would you say? I would agree, yeah. Um, I am happy to be back at 500, even if it is zero and zero. Yep, yep, and they, and they'll get to kick the uh, second half of the season off tonight with a doubleheader against Lake County. So an opportunity to, Jump out to two and zero, and uh, maybe pick up a half game lead on someone in the standings. Um, the Midwest League All Star Game, the the Whitecaps only had one representative. That was Ulrich Boyarski. Um, we were checking out the box score a little bit earlier. He had he played the whole game, which is unusual for an All Star game. Uh, he had four plate appearances and two sacrifice flies for a pair of RBIs. He was zero for two, two sack flies. Um, interesting thing about the Midwest League game, and this was in South Bend was that it ended in a tie, and rather than play extra innings, which I'll tell you why they didn't play extra innings in just a minute, um, they opted to go to a home run derby format <laughs> to settle this. So each team sent out one representative chosen by the manager, and they had 90 seconds to hit uh, as many homers as they could. Chris Betts, who I believe is a uh, Tampa Bay Rays prospect, uh, Bowling Green Hot Rods, uh, knocked off Blaze Alexander 2-1 to one in that that decisive home run derby challenge uh, but pretty interesting I like that that's fun but the reason they couldn't play any more innings Jay is because they they used a combined 26 pitchers uh, in nine inning baseball game and so I can't even if they wanted to play extra innings there were no arms left on either bench uh, to continue that baseball game that had to be pretty much an unwatchable game for them to be changing pitchers that frequently what do you think that sounds horrible that sounds yeah. genuinely horrible yeah, I mean, I understand they're trying to get everybody an all-star game experience, but you'd almost rather them just have a few of those guys not pitch at all than come out there for a third of an inning and then have to change pitchers and go through that whole rigmarole. But, hey, I wasn't there. Maybe it was fun. Maybe they had lots of entertainment while pitchers were warming up and whatnot. Um, all right, so, you know, I wanted to get into sort of the uh, who's hot and who's not. Um, as we head into the second half of the season down there in the Midwest League, we talked about him, Ulrich Boyarski. Um, we've been talking about him all year, and you're expecting him to cool off at some point, and he just hasn't. June has been the best month uh, for him this season. He was uh, he hit 348 so far in the month of June with a 652 slugging percentage. He's now got 10 homers and 43 RBIs. A lot of people saying. Uh, it's only a matter of time before he's Lakeland bound. I, I, I'm not sure. You know, the one the one thing that concerns me about him is 11 walks and 255 plate appearances. Do a little quick arithmetic right there. That's a 4.3 percent walk uh, rate, and that typically is not uh, the type of walk rate that leads to success as you move up in the in the system against more uh, advanced pitching. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about Boyarski and and whether he spends the season down there in West Michigan or 
with his consistency and continued success if he just needs a challenge at Lakeland? Uh, he's 20, so I think he spends it in West Michigan. Um, the Tigers are probably in no rush with the guy. He seems Brock Dethridge-ish, but significantly younger than Brock Dethridge. Uh, I, I saw a game the other day. I went with my buddies, so I wasn't watching too closely. I mean, I paid for the tickets, so I don't know why I would work. But um, <laughs> he he swung at a really bad pitch below the zone, and that has been the trademark of his uh, not-home-run plate appearances, is that he's really not able to pick up on the spin quite yet. Uh, maybe he'll develop that ability, maybe he won't, but... He's still young. I see no reason to push him if they don't need to. Yeah, agree. And I'm not knocking the kid either, but he he clearly struggles recognizing spin from what I've seen and needs to work on a more patient approach. And that's fine. Yeah, 20 years old, as you mentioned. So let's let him um, get gain some experience down there in the Midwest League before he tries that against more advanced guys. Okay, who's not hot? Uh, Sam McMillan. Sam McMillan, and we've talked about this too, is one of the more intriguing offensive profiles, maybe in all of baseball, if you look at this. In June, he's hitting 152 with a 300 on-base percentage. Um, he, for the season, he is slugging at a 288 clip, Jay, but has a 397 on-base percentage. So we talk about Boyarski and his 4.3% walk rate. Sam McMillan has walked 33 times in 179 plate appearances. That's 18.4% walk rate. So one out of every five times he goes up to the plate, he is drawing a walk. And yet with that's a, that's an extremely high walk rate. And you would think a, a guy like that would be able to do some damage from time to time, but he just simply is not. He's got a great approach. He fouls off a ton of pitches. He's got a good eye. He's got a nice swing. He's just not barreling anything up. Uh, what? How do we explain this type of offensive profile? Because I'm not sure I've seen anything quite like it. I think he has very good hand-eye coordination, but a poor feel for the barrel, which is, sounds like a contradiction, but I don't know how else to how else to explain it because a guy with bad vision – um, not like poor eyesight, but bad, bad vision for the baseball is going to be something along the lines of, um, of, uh, uh, oh, why can't I think of the guy's name? Anyway, he would be striking out a lot more if he couldn't see the ball. Um, he just can't seem to, to barrel it up. So like you said, it's really a confusing profile. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> Crazy. Again, another kid, also 20 years old. Um, has some things to work on defensively as well, but um, so I, I'm looking for improvement, more extra base. I think he has seven extra base hits the entire season, like six doubles and a, and a home run. So uh, I'm hoping to see him that you know develop some gap power, hit some line drives, and and maybe we'll see uh, some of those OPS type figures. Uh, rise for him the second half of the season. Okay, on the mound, who's hot? Uh, Wilco Hernandez has been really good in his last three starts. It's a 16 and two-thirds innings pitch. It's a 3-2-4 ERA, but 20 strikeouts and just four walks. 
uh, no walks in his last outing, and that was the first time this season he had gone an outing without walking anybody since uh, opening weekend, April 5th. So promising to see Wilkel improving. Another guy I wanted to talk about, Jay, was uh, Jared Toby. And it's a name I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard. He was a 30th round draft pick last year, uh, a Michigan kid from St. Clair, Michigan, who went to Wayne State. Uh, now he's 23 year old, you know, college pitcher. We need to keep this in mind. Lefty, um, and he, but he's having quietly a very, very good season down there in West Michigan. And in 13 appearances, he's got a 1.47 ERA, a 24 strikeouts in 18 and a third innings. I'm told by somebody who used to coach him uh, that he sits 95 easily and had touched 97 down at camp this spring. So a lefty with that kind of velocity, um, you know, it, it's something to watch. It's a guy that's probably got too much for the Midwest League and, and will and will go to Florida State League here at some point this season. But uh, I'd like to catch get some eyes on him and just see what he's got in that assortment. Who's been cold uh, in this pitching staff, Jay, is we talked about the long reliever, Drew Crosby, another lefty. Uh, ten earned runs in his last twelve and then twelve and a third innings pitched. Uh, so Drew Crosby's really been struggling. And now we want to talk about up and down. Who's who's been moving around the system? And last week we talked about the the roster crunch that was coming due to all the position player draft picks um, that the Tigers acquired here in 2019. So we we kind of saw that start to take shape last week as Kingston Leniak, Jose King, and Avery Tuck were sent down to Connecticut. We kind of figured this would happen for Lineak. I think he was only in West Michigan because of the injury to Daniel Reyes. So he was just up there getting some plate appearances uh, until the New York Penn League season started. But he's down in Connecticut now. Jose King, Jay, you talked about who was just not able to handle Midwest League pitching. Um, so he's sent down to Connecticut where he'll be in a utility role there, kind of rotating around with Kelvin Smith and um, Ildemaro Escalona, who's a guy that I had a chance to see last week in Connecticut and was really impressed with him from a defensive point of view. Uh, but Jose King back in Connecticut. And then Avery Tuck, who's been striking out like at a 50% clip almost since becoming a pro. He's been sent down to Connecticut as well, swap places with Clark Brinkman, um, who's had some success in the New York Penn League, another college hitter. So he'll be headed back to Grand Rapids to join the Whitecaps. Uh, and then there's a pitcher who came down from Lakeland, Jay, that you wanted to kind of talk about a little bit. Yeah, Brad Bass is back in West Michigan, um, which for me, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I saw him quite a bit last year. He was, for some reason, um, a guy who I ended up seeing quite a bit just by coincidence. He had a pretty strong end to the season, but from a scouting standpoint, I, I don't love the guy. He, uh, he's got essentially a 20 fastball, 30 at, it flashes 30, which is basically unusable. Um, the slider plays up on occasion, but, uh, it's, it's extremely inconsistent. So this is a guy who was a seventh round pick by the Tigers, supposedly had a plus fastball coming out of Notre Dame. But it did not show at all in the season. Um, his velocity was down significantly. So I'm curious if it's come back up at all or if that slider is getting any consistency in his time in Lakeland. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think they've just been struggling with, with so many arms passing through there in Lakeland and some rehab guys. So they're kind of like constantly bouncing guys. They were bouncing guys like Tom DeBlock back and forth from extended spring training and Jesus Rodriguez just to be able to get – 
enough innings for everybody. So I think this is just a situation for Brad where they, they see an opportunity for him to come down here and get some work. Um, and then I guess probably what's oh sorry. No, no, go ahead. You cut out there for a second. I guess what happened was that uh, Bo Burrows is on a quasi-rehab assignment from the Tigers, um, and he had that nice little outing in Lakeland, and they sent him to Erie, which means that someone needed to be bumped from Erie, so they sent Billy Lesher to Lakeland and Brad Bass to West Michigan. So when Bo goes back to Toledo, he reclaims his spot there. I'm guessing Billy Lesher is going to go back to Erie, which means Brad Bass will go back to Lakeland, and my (laughs) guess for the guy to come to West Michigan is Zach Hess who they just signed, and um, he's an interesting arm from LSU, but I guess he's probably a topic for another day. I'm curious if they put him out there as a starter or a reliever, though, because there's a lot of talk that he could get to the majors fairly quickly as a reliever, um, but the Tigers also give guys very uh, uh, lots and lots of patience to be a starter. Right, right. All right, so Zach Hess, another one to keep an eye on, to potentially be coming to Grand Rapids um, here in the next couple weeks, perhaps. And then... All right, the exciting names we want to talk about, Jay, are the two um, high draft picks, Nick Quintana and Andre Lipschitz, who, whereas announced this week, will be making their professional debuts there with uh, West Michigan um, tonight as they take on Lake County in that doubleheader. So let's talk a little bit about them and the interesting thing about what they were described as on the roster sheet versus what the, where they were slated to be in the lineup. Well, they were both drafted as thir- third baseman. Quintana was advertised as a plus defender there at third um, in the draft. Lipschitz was an adequate defender at third. Um, but they're, they're both supposedly long-term third basemen. However, on the roster sheet, Quintana is listed as a shortstop. And I'm fine with that, honestly. Um, he's an athletic guy. I think he might be able to pull it off, especially since the bar for uh, shortstop defense has been declining significantly over the last few years in the major leagues. So I'm all for giving him every chance at short, but that sort of complicates things because then you have to find at-bats for Wenzel Perez, likely at second or third, but that sort of complicates things for Andre Lipschitz, who was slated to play second base in last night's game before it got rained out. But in any case, we're getting a clearer picture of what this roster crunch, how this roster crunch is going to be sorted out that we were discussing last week. Yeah, bring all your infield gloves, I guess, right? Um, cause you could be playing anywhere on the diamond on any given night just to get in there and get some, some plate appearances. But nonetheless, that lineup could use some bats like those two can provide, um, in the middle of that lineup. Wenzel Perez continues to struggle a little bit. Ray Rivera looked like he was going to, you know, kind of own the Midwest League a little bit this year, like he was unable to do last year and was unable to do in the Florida State League, but he's he's kind of back down to uh, sub-300 on base percentage, not doing a ton of damage, um, so they could they could really use a couple bats like that to, to get things going. Uh, you know, I, if I, have... I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, Dan Hasty tweeted just after Lipschitz was drafted that a contact of his um, remarked Lipschitz had some of the best uh, ability recognizing spin that he'd ever seen. I think the word he used was elite. That might be a little bit uh, ambitious. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen an elite tool on anyone ever in the three years I've been watching ball games. Um, but in any case, that'll be a nice uh, juxtaposition to what they have in West Michigan now, which is um, Ulrich Boyarski's 4% walk rate and 
Ray Rivera's constant strikeouts. All right. All right. Fantastic. And then, um, and I hope I don't catch you off guard here with this topic, but I just thought about it because I've had some conversations with people in the last week or who are, are kind of perturbed by some of these prospects bypassing the New York Penn League altogether. And, you know, my response to that is kind of that the New York Penn League would be a, a decline in competition for some of these guys, some of these college hitters that come from Division One programs who've played three years against some of the top college programs in the country, like Quintana and Lipschitz and um, Kreidler. Um, but I guess the counter to that is not every organization does that. I mean, there are there are plenty of organizations out there. there there's plenty of prospects in the New York Penn League. Um, top prospects who 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 start off there. I, I don't know. I'd like to kind of get your perspective on that. Is this is the New York Penn League a decline in competition for guys for college hitters? Uh, you know, say who drafted in the top three or four rounds, um, or is it more of an organizational philosophy and, and kind of contingent upon what you have in your pipeline in terms of where you want to start guys off? Am I able to select all of the above? Yes. Well, then that's what I'm going to go with, because okay. whether a guy needs to start in the New York Penn League definitely depends on the prospect. You look at a guy like uh, Kyle Funkhauser, for example, who the Tigers drafted after he had a pretty down year. He started in the New York Penn League, which was completely fine because he needed to adapt to the pro schedule. And I I think it was probably good for him to face competition that was a little bit worse than he'd been used to just to get him back in a good frame of mind and get his mechanics and slider back to where they needed to be. Um, on the other hand, a guy like Cody Clemens, who they drafted last year, had no business in the Midwest League, much less the the New York Penn League. I mean, he would have, I mean, he he may have batted above 400 in the New York Penn League because of how well he did in the Midwest League. So for a guy like uh, Nick Quintana, who should be just fine in the Midwest League, I see no purpose in putting in the New York Penn League. Whereas someone like um, Oh, I don't know. Riley Green, who's going to spend a lot of time in the New York Penn League, more than likely, compared to the nothing that we're seeing them give Lipschitz and Quintana, it's a little more necessary because of where he is in his development. Okay. Keenan, you ought to know there's no rule of thumb in prospecting. I know. I'm just playing some devil's advocate here. Okay. And I guess... I think some of the question comes from people who, from Connecticut Tigers fans who are like, why does the organization hate Connecticut? Like, they'll send these kids down to the GCL for five games and then bypass Connecticut altogether. You look at the Astros from last year, they drafted Seth Beer out of Clemson first round, sent him off to, to the New York Penn League for 11 games, at least gave him a stint down there before sending him up to, to Quad Cities in the Midwest League. So the the Tigers... To those people, I pose the question, what's the difference between the five games in the GCL and 11 games in the New York Penn League? Zero. Zero. But yeah, to me, there's no difference. If you're going to start them in the Midwest League, it doesn't matter where you give them their 30 at-bats before that. I agree. I'm just trying to explain this to people. That, oh. <laughs> the you know, we tend to think that the Midwest League is equivalent to quality college baseball, right? <laughs> Perhaps even a step down to your elite college programs. So, Yeah, a, a program like Vanderbilt is going to be somewhere between low A and high A. 
Yeah. I mean, the college players that you see in the New York Penn League are typically not prospects. The, the, the prospects that, that stop in the New York Penn League are kids that were drafted out of high school who are 18 to 20 years old and college guys who are typically late rounders who are uh, organizational players, not, not your elite yeah. prospects. So, okay. I'm glad we got that clarified, Jay. That was really, okay. that was really smooth. I thought you were going to ask me to say that the Astros are wrong. And, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> well, you know, and it also depends, you know, what's going on in the rest of your system. Where, you know, where's the best place to get somebody some at bats, right? I mean, you you can't you can't have everybody in the Midwest League at the same time. So maybe sometimes it does make sense to have guys take a step down in competition just because you've got a roster crunch at a certain level. Um, so there's lots there's lots of variables is my point and the Tigers organizational philosophy has typically been that your higher round position prospects go straight to the Midwest League. Um all right. Okay. One more guy before we get out of here Jay that you wanted to to touch on a little bit and that's Hector Martinez. Um so you had a chance to see him recently and and what's your uh preliminary evaluation of him? Um I think that he is somebody worth giving a little more attention to than I had, but he's still not a dude. Um, uh, if that's that's something James Chipman explained well, the difference between a guy and a dude in the Marchant Orders, which is another one of Keenan's podcasts. I suggest checking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Hector Martinez still isn't a dude, really, but he had some interesting bat speed. It, it came and went, um, but he also didn't really show very much in the way of a pretty swing. It was sort of a choppy downward swing. In any case, there's power potential there that I didn't expect to see. And he also has a strong and accurate defensive arm from third base. So he might be a guy that you uh, see perform well in low A, maybe even high A, before he starts to run into some um, career-ending sort of trouble. Yeah, and and he was a guy that was sort of on the prospect map a couple of years ago uh, and and hasn't seemed to been able to get past Connecticut the past two years. So they, they've, they've decided, look, he's 22 years old now. They're going to put him right in the Midwest league and, and try and figure things out. And one of the things we were talking about is this profile is a guy that absolutely refuses to take a walk. Um, he has 981 professional plate appearances dating back to 2014 when he was in the Dominican Summer League. He has drawn 38 walks. So we're talking about, you know, a, a 4% lifetime walk rate as a professional. That's not sustainable. Um, but I, that's I saw even Dawa Lugo. That's, that's sad. Yep. Yep. That's below Lugo. Um, but I, I, I saw what you saw when I, when I, caught Martinez in Dayton. Um, he, he does have a strong arm. He goes up hacking. He's looking to do damage. Um, there's extra base power there for sure. But um, the walk rate is simply simply unsustainable. We talk about it over and over. Um, but it, it's something that as you move up against more advanced pitching, it will be exploited by guys who know what they're doing out there. And if they know you're going to swing at anything, then you don't stand much of a chance. Look at what happens to Dalwell Lugo against major league pitching. It's just they, they they can get you to hit their pitch and you can go take a seat on the bench. 
So, um, all right, Jay, anything else we wanted to talk about this week before we get out of here? No, not really. All right, good. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on again this week. Uh, hopefully the Whitecaps will get off to a great start in the second half. We'll have some exciting things to talk about on next week's episode with our new draft picks uh, joining the fold. And uh, be sure to follow Jay on Twitter. That's uh, Jay. What's your Twitter handle? Jay underscore Markle BYB, something like that. Jay Markle underscore BYB. Markle spelled like sparkle, but with an M. All right, I was close. And then you can catch me at Tiger underscore Lifer. As Jay mentioned, please be sure to check out the rest of our podcast series, Marchant Orders for the Flying Tigers, uh, Eerie Go for the Seawolves, and then the I-75 Drive for the Mudhens. And with that, we are out for this week. Thanks very much.